Now is the time to call on the memories of the ancestors who thought they could not walk another step toward freedom, and yet they did. It is that time and place to call on the memories of the ancestors who, in the darkness of their lives, threatened to take away hope and light, reached a little <coughs> deeper, and prayed yet another prayer. It is that time and place to remember those who came through the long night to witness another sunrise. It is that time and place to remember the oceans of tears shed to deliver us to this time, to remember the bent knees and bowed backs, to remember the fervent voices asking, begging, and beseeching for loved ones sold off. Time to remember their laughter and joy, through they had far less, and little reason for optimism, yet they stayed on the path toward a better day. Time to hold the steadfast hands and hearts and prayers of the ancestors that have brought us this far. Time to make them proud and show them and ourselves what we are made of. Time to show them in their prayers and sacrifices and lives were not in vain and did not go unnoticed, nor have they been forgotten. Did you not know this day would come? Did you not know that we would have to change places? Did you not know that just as our ancestors were delivered, that you would also be delivered? Have you not seen the greatness and power of the creative energy in the universe called God or love that moves and has its being through human agency? Have you not seen God in your neighbor's faces, in the homeless, in the battered woman, in the trafficked child, the undocumented worker, the dispossessed, it is that time and that place to know it is our turn that we must leave a legacy for our children and all of the children. It is that time and place. We are the ones we have been waiting for. For that, let us be eternally grateful. Amen and blessed be. Well, thank you, Bob and Denise and Kay and Alex and and B, <laughs> it's been quite a, quite a service. And Kiyama, who was a classmate of mine at Meadville, who provided our last reading. So, a longer time ago than I'd like to admit, when I was 18, and just starting college, I had my first meeting with my academic advisor. I hadn't declared a major entering uh, entering school, and I was randomly assigned an advisor from the university faculty. And it turns out that she was literally a rocket scientist. <laughs> she had recently retired from NASA, and uh, she was a new professor of molecular physics. And though I didn't really know what I wanted to study, I was pretty sure molecular physics wasn't it. <laughs> Now, I'll never forget our, our first and what would really be our last conversation. She asked me what I wanted to be in life. 
And I thought about it and I said, I'd like to be a good person. She laughed dismissively and said that was possible regardless of my field of study. So, a writer then, I said. She steered me, of course, towards the English literature department. But I wish she had been a little more probing in our initial exchange, simply because I think with a little, little more exploration, I would have found the moral philosophy department sooner. Perhaps even early enough in my studies to major in it. I didn't wind up majoring in it. I did find it eventually. The philosophy department was nestled up on an old hill outside of Boston, kind of crumbling yellow brick buildings, which I found out years later had once been the site of Crane Seminary, which was the longest running universalist seminary in the country. I was, I think, drawn to wanting to become a good person at that time. Not that I felt that I wasn't really, but I think my struggle was tied up in my change of life from childhood to adulthood, my parents' recent divorce, and ultimately what my contribution would be to the world. Now philosophy is, of course, the study of thought. But moral philosophy is actually the study of action, right and wrong action. More simply, moral philosophy is the study of ethics. Now, moral philosophers have myriad ways they try to describe right action versus wrong action. And an increasingly complex set of theories about how one judges between the two. But generally speaking, actions deemed right are those that result in good, and actions deemed wrong are those that have negative effects. But even what is deemed good is up for debate. Now, the consequentialists say that it is the result of any action that must be judged. The action results in a good situation for the actor and those affected by the action, then it is good, period regardless of intent. Now, of course, not all moral philosophers agree with this. Others, called non-consequentialists, believe that the intent of an action is paramount when judging an ethical value of any situation. Still others claim that all moral good is subjective. And therefore, actions must only be assessed within the limited social cultural and personal contexts in which they occur. 18th century English philosopher David Hume went as far to say that values are really just the reflection of our own feelings and that the universe itself is both cold and indifferent, giving us no example or demonstration of any greater morality. And finally, Virtually all religions claim a certain authority of truth and morality and hold that not only does absolute truth exist, but they themselves have the unique key to unlocking it. I say virtually all religions claim this, all perhaps except for this one, Unitarian Universalism. 
and tied in part to religion, all cultures claim to have some absolute truths by which they operate and govern. A man named Herodotus observed that each society regards its own belief system as superior to all others. And he noted this 500 years before the birth of the man we know as Jesus of Nazareth. So egocentrism, when it comes to evaluating morality, is certainly not a new situation. Neither are racism, sexism, oppression, or domination for that matter, but all have deep roots in the development of human society and how we have engaged in and settled conflict. But the question that looms for us today and for many of the undergraduate philosophy student, is how might we judge the actions and events of history? And how might history judge us? How might we look at actions of the past and judge not only the long-term kind of pragmatic impact, but the immediate moral value? How ahead of one's time does an historical person have to have been to currently be considered moral by today's standards? So Columbus Day itself venerates not only a moment in our world's history, right, that first, arguably second passage of Europeans across the Atlantic to the Americas, not only celebrates this one moment in our history, but is also the celebration of a single man. Christopher Columbus was heralded in his own time and in the centuries that followed as a hero, a pioneer, a warrior for Western Christian values. But recently, more and more other voices are lifting up a different truth that Christopher Columbus was, in fact, a mercenary of imperialism whose trips across the Atlantic were indefensible attempts at exploitation for personal gain, domination, and even genocide. Now, one, one defense of Christopher Columbus might be that he lived in 15th century Europe, whose monarchs and popes were nothing short of brutally oppressive dictators by today's standards. Experiments in democracy were nearly 300 years away, and the slave trade had just begun. How can we judge someone like Christopher Columbus harshly when he was mired in a culture that supported both the Crusades and the Inquisition? Indeed, Columbus's patrons, patrons for his four trips across the Atlantic were Ferdinand and Isabella of Spain, who famously deported or killed all of their Muslim and Jewish citizens to the great long-term detriment of the society and economy of the Iberian Peninsula. It wouldn't be too long after Columbus's last trip to the Americas that one of our spiritual ancestors, the doctor and attorney and theologian Michael Servetus, would be burned alive in Geneva for pointing out, eloquently and accurately, I might add, 
that there is no scriptural basis for the concept of the Trinity. So if one follows this line of thought, morality judged only by the societal context in which the actions were taken, Columbus should be considered a hero, right? Well, <laughs> unfortunately for our friend Christopher, he wasn't without fault even in his own time. As governor of Hispaniola, Columbus not only abused and enslaved the native population, many of which also sickened and died from diseases brought with Columbus and his crew, he regularly beat and executed Spanish colonists who crossed him. Finding inadequate gold supplies on his first trip, he filled his ship with natives to be sold as slaves in Europe in the hopes of paying back his investors. Isabella famously denounced the whole practice of slavery and became very upset with Columbus. It got so bad that in what may be the most expensive arrest warrant of all time, Isabella and Ferdinand sent an envoy across the Atlantic to arrest Columbus and deliver him to the Spanish monarchs to stand trial in chains. So there had been four trips across the Atlantic at that time. The fifth was to go and get Columbus and bring him back to Spain to stand trial. Though the trial never actually happened, Columbus was stripped of all of his titles and his claim to a portion of the riches received from his explorations were temporarily rescinded. And remember, these are the same people, the same people who excised all of the Jews and Muslims in their country, thought that Columbus was being unreasonable. So think about that for a second. So a uh, famed astrophysicist and director of the Hayden Planetarium and uh, UU-friendly scientist, Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson, recounts a very condemning story about Columbus in his new book. It's called uh, Accessory to War, The Unspoken Alliance Between Astrophysics and the Military. It's a fascinating read if you get a chance. But in the book, he talks about Columbus Knowing that a lunar eclipse was coming in a few, few short days, threatens the natives of Hispaniola that he will turn the moon to blood if they don't empty their winter stores for his crew's return trip to Spain. Having just enough to make it through the winter season for themselves, the natives refuse right up until that point the eclipse causes the moon to turn red just as Columbus wanted. So unfortunately for Christopher Columbus, even taking into account the brutal moral standards of 15th century Europe, Columbus was considered more scoundrel than hero, even in his own time. So why is it that we have elevated Christopher Columbus, this man, to the larger-than-life personage we celebrate really all across the country and the world. We do have to go back again a little bit in time, not as far as 1492, but to the very beginnings of our country, at least. 
In the late 1700s, Italian Catholic immigrants to the young United States were still a small and endangered minority. Columbus Day emerged organically in New York and Boston sometime in the 1790s, growing out of the small but passionate Italian populations in both cities. Columbus, though bankrolled by the Spanish monarchy, had become a hero figure for Italians, especially Italian immigrants who had made the trip across the Atlantic to settle in the lands Columbus himself exposed to European colonization. Local annual celebrations would continue for more than a century, culminating in the Columbian Exposition in Chicago, that famed White City World's Fair of 1892 and 93, which was set to recognize the 400th anniversary of Columbus's first landing in the Americas. In 1934, in the depths of the Great Depression and as a result of extensive lobbying by the Knights of Columbus, President Roosevelt declared Columbus Day a national holiday for the first time. Now, over the ensuing decades, the Italian heritage element of the celebration had given way to a more patriotic celebration of American national pride. Now, of course, a number of U.S. states and cities have begun considering alternatives to this elevation of Columbus, with Alaska, Hawaii, Oregon, and South Dakota all replacing the holiday of Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day. Several other large cities have done the same. Using the holiday as an opportunity to lift up the contributions and trials of native peoples in the period since Columbus's first landing on these shores, these municipalities have taken an important first step in acknowledging the problematic elements and celebrating the man responsible for European occupation and exploitation of the Americas. So where exactly does this leave us on the cusp of our own Columbus Day? Where do we find our place in history? How might we judge and be judged? I began today with a little overview of the many conflicting philosophical theories regarding morality and just action. Though attractive to some of us Unitarian Universalists because of its seemingly inclusive nature, moral relativism breaks down logically when making the paradoxical claim that it's an absolute truth that all truth is subjective. Similar problems plague moral pluralism, which asserts that multiple moralities can coexist with one another, sometimes conflicting values within the same society. As this line of thinking means there is no objective basis for judging actions at all. And finally, contextual morality theories, which place paramount importance on the values of the society in which an action is made, fail to allow for development of social values, shifts in moral thinking or conflicts that arise when one dominant mindset gives way to another. And those Unitarian Universalists, we don't claim to know the whole truth. We certainly claim a truth. 
We claim the universalist truth that we are all important, we all matter, and we are all responsible. We're all important, we all matter, we are all responsible. Environmental injustice, even a hundred years ago, had at worst local implications. A factory killing a local fish supply, soot from stoves choking a city in coal ash, beachside erosion of a harbor from dredging shipping lanes, and so on. But unfortunately, these local abuses of our environment are now no longer isolated. We know that pollution from China can reach the west coast of the United States in a matter of days. We know that carbon emissions here can affect global temperatures. We know that the detonation of a single nuclear weapon might have devastating implications for the entire of the planet. Likewise, the white supremacist, male supremacist quest for material wealth that impelled Columbus to set sail in the first place, created the institution of slavery, perpetuated genocide, and set in motion a power structure that, while not quite as transparently abusive as the monarchy, has made it increasingly difficult for those without resources to gain them or those with resources to share them. Women here and around the world have been silenced, sadly, for millennia. And despite our most valiant efforts of late, our government continues to perpetuate a male-centric power structure. <clears throat> now, not all of these things came directly from Columbus, of course, but let's just agree that he didn't help matters a whole lot. No, if actions are judged, at least in part, on the good they create, then there must be an absolute measure that is separate from the context of history or environment. Universalism has long held what we are now able to illustrate so profoundly, that true morality lies not in relativism, but in the expansion of the equity and equality of all people and the pursuit of justice as we are now so clearly all in this together, bound in that network of mutuality and tied in that single garment of destiny that King so aptly describes, universalism is not only true, but is now essential to our very survival. So how will history judge us? I would argue it's not by the lands we conquered, the wealth we amassed, or the people we oppressed, but rather the justice we spread and the love we shared with the world. The future history of our planet might just depend on it. So this Columbus Day, go forth in love and in the pursuit of justice for all. Happy Columbus Day and Indigenous Peoples Day. May it be so. Blessed be and amen.